fucking. I, I, I already hated him because even though it was never specifically said in the movie which one of Buddy Repperton's gang shit on the dashboard of Christine, but you know it was him. It was him. It was him. It was him. But um. Yeah. guys, welcome to the Video Express, where we dust off old VHS tapes and discuss all things horror, sci-fi, and exploitation. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Jill Sholin Month here on the show. Before we get things rolling, Katie, tell our fine listeners, what is our first spotlight movie of Jill Sholin Month? All right, well, today we are talking about Popcorn. Uh, released in 1991, a mere seven months before I entered this world. So, great year. Um, this movie was directed by Mark Harry, Harrier? Harrier? I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name. Um, and sort of, sort of also directed by Alan Ormsby, but we'll get into it. And um, yeah, I am very excited to talk about this movie today. As am I. Uh, but before we dive into it, Katie, tell us what is going on in the cinema world right now. Okay, so if you listen to last episode, you'll know that these first few episodes we recorded a, a little bit earlier than the release date. So um, by the time you're listening to this, these movies and and one of them is actually a series will have been out for a, a couple of months. But um, like I said last episode, there's just so many things coming out all the time. I personally just like to have specific recommendations because there's so many good things um, that's pretty easy to miss. So. The first thing is, um, of course, on Shudder. Actually, two of my recommendations are on Shudder today, of course. Uh, and this is Eli Roth's History of Horror. This was a show that originally premiered on AMC, and uh, Shudder acquired it, so they just dropped season two on there. And so I, you know, I have mixed feelings about Eli Roth, but the good news is that whether you like him or not, um, he's kind of just the host of the show. He just kind of drives some of the interviews um but the actual content itself is is very interesting and very exciting um they've got great people that they're interviewing like greg nicotero and rob zombie and just going through different uh different sub genres of horror and kind of tracking the history and like how that related to culture and whatnot so definitely if you're a horror fan i recommend that um this next one is a movie that just dropped on shutter today um December 17th when we're recording this uh so I haven't had a chance to watch it yet but I watched the trailer and it looks amazing and it's called The Pale Door and this is a a western horror movie um Ooh. and the 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 little blurb next to it on Shutter says after a botched train robbery two brothers and their gang of cowboys must survive the night in a ghost town inhabited by a coven of witches. And based on the trailer, they're not just like sexy, cool witches. They're like monsters, like straight up scary 
bloodthirsty, vicious monster witches. So it looks like a really fun time. <laughs> nice. Um, and then the only other recommendation I have today, it's not really a movie. It's it's more just like a shout out to uh, to Synapse Films. They they put together the the Blu-ray of popcorn that I watched when preparing for this episode and it included a really interesting one hour making of documentary and the special features um and i've always you know i've been a fan of synapse films since they released the absolutely exquisite 4k restoration of dario argento's suspiria which might be my favorite horror movie of all time it's one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen considering the first time i watched that movie it was on a shitty laptop in a dorm room with like no sound, no subtitles, nothing. Um, so it, I definitely uh, recommend them. They have a crazy catalog of like ridiculous, you know, out there B movies and things that you just can't find on streaming services today. So check them out. Absolutely, yeah. Synapse is definitely one of the uh, one of the top tier d- distributors of some really great cult films. Like you said, their catalog is ridiculously good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Katie, for uh, bringing us up to date on some cool things that's going on. Uh, but now let's go ahead and, and officially kick off Jill Sholin Month and, uh, of course, our movie of the night, Popcorn. Uh, as always, this is uh, usually the case where it's a movie that I've watched uh, umpteen times and then you are probably a first time watcher. So I'll let you go first. Uh, what is your first initial thoughts on Popcorn? Um, my first thought is that I, I'm so thankful that that this movie has come into my life. I can't believe that I missed it. Um, it's completely up my alley. I've I loved every minute watching it. It was truly. I mean, I don't. I honestly, we were talking before we started recording. Not really a whole lot of critiques for this one because it's actually very well made and it's very fun to watch and it's legitimately pretty scary at times. Um, so yeah, I and it's got it's got a great vibes, great setting at this big old beautiful theater um, in Kingston, Jamaica. Which it wasn't supposed to be set like the movie itself isn't set in Jamaica, but it was shot in Jamaica. <laughs> and it yeah, it, I love everything about it. The vibe was great, the villains great, the makeup's great. I'm a fan. Awesome. I actually had no idea that it was shot in Jamaica. So you you've got one on me. Aha. Yes, yeah, so, there's, a, uh, there's a, some facts about the the production we'll get into in a little bit, but yeah, some interesting things behind the scenes. Cool, yeah, and, and you know, I'm it's like a broken record by now, but that's what I like about this is I get to watch you know a movie that I've watched a million times and just be able to spout shit that I know, and then you get to come at me with uh, with facts that you've researched on, and um, you know, everybody kind of learns something new. And uh, for people that it's not seen the movie, you get to learn everything. So um, yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I knew it was when I was making the list of things for us to watch. Uh, I knew this was a really good one to throw on there just because, it, you know, I hate to call it obscure, but it kind of is. It's not a movie that is on anybody's lips when you when you're in big crowds and talking about, you know, cult horror films and stuff like that. And the reason I wanted to uh, not just specifically this movie but one of the reasons why it shows uh, Jill Sholin is our first spotlight, uh, lack of a better term, Scream Queen month, is because she's, to me, personally, kind of an unsung hero of the Scream Queens. 
you never hear her name brought up uh hardly ever i mean you know you get your your old you know your typical people your jamie lee curtis's and and you know your adrian barbos and and people like that but jill sholin is kind of never mentioned which is a damn shame because she put out a very nice catalog of horror films and in kind of a short amount of time she you know not only popcorn but she was in uh, the the original stepfather film uh cutting class which you know i think was brad one of brad pitt's first movies um the extremely underrated uh phantom of the opera version that starred uh, robert england uh, she was in uh, when a stranger. Oh, wow! Yeah, which if you you know we'll, we'll probably have that uh, that movie on one of our future episodes just because it's it's my probably favorite version of Phantom of the Opera. Uh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, and then also she was. Uh, this is this is one that you never hear about. Really, people talk, you know, or mention that she was in, or even the movie itself. But she was in uh, when a stranger calls back which was the the TV sequel to the original Winter Stranger Calls. So, you know, you know, again, she she has a good catalog of horror films. And I think maybe one of the reasons that she's just not um, championed as, as much as the others is just because she kind of dropped off the face of the earth there for a while and just kind of got out of the scene. So maybe, you know, she wasn't in the consciousness of everybody. But still, I think, I think she's great and I think she deserves her spot as a scream queen. And that's why I wanted to go ahead and start off with popcorn and, and kind of give her her go. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching her. Um, I, I had never really heard of her before watching this movie. So now I'm excited to go back and maybe watch some more movies from her catalog and especially, you know, the one that we're going to do for the next episode. So, uh, but before we get too into the characters, I was thinking, um, so what's different about this episode compared to the last episode is that the plot in this movie is actually coherent enough to say in a short little blurb. So I was wondering, (laughs) Matt, if you would like to give our listeners just a really quick bare bones overview of of what this movie's about and and what happens. You know, it's funny. Uh, you, you say that and just, just so people know, um, this this show is is technically not scripted. Uh, Katie and I are literally just two friends right now, just talking about a fucking movie we watched. So none of this stuff is like <laughs> none of this stuff is uh, pre thought out. So uh, I'm technically on the spot right now with explaining this movie. Thankfully, she didn't put me on the spot with explaining Howling Three, and uh, I get to do <laughs> I get to do popcorn. But yeah, it, it's kind of I hate to say it's bare bones. But uh, in, in a way it is, but it's it's a razor thin plot, but it gets right to the right to the point and kind of keeps going and never really lets up. Uh, basically, a group of a group of kids, I, I guess you would say college kids. They're in a they're in a class uh, and they put together a film festival at a theater and the film festival is to show old classic horror movies. And they rig the theater up very much in the in the vein of William Castle with like shocking mm-hmm. theater seats and things flying over the, the audience and stuff like that. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, there is a uh, there is a certain evil being that is stalking them one by one inside the theater. And our uh, our lead actress, Jill Sholin, her character of Maggie keeps having visions and premonitions of this killer and things just keep getting spookier from there on. 
Mm-hmm. I think that that's, it gives a good foundation. And, you know, if you haven't watched the movie yet, I think that doesn't really spoil. Although there may be a spoiler or two later on down the road. Just Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to have spoilers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I think that lays lays the foundation. Um, so, yeah, let, maybe we should just go through each of these characters. We've talked a little bit about Jill Sholin, but I would like to talk just more about her character in general of Maggie. Um, yeah, absolutely. She... Yeah, so I think she's a really fun, interesting leading lady. I feel like she doesn't, something about her look is really unique. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look like a lot of the the final girls of, of the 70s and 80s. Right. Um, and so I think that's really cool. Like this coming out in 1991, it's like we're entering a new decade, a new era of final girls. So I, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much other movies were inspired by this. Maybe they weren't, but to me, it's like the sign of a, of a trend towards maybe a different look or a different type of person uh, to be, to be the leading lady. It's funny. It's funny. You actually mentioned that um, because as, as you mentioned, you know, she kind of doesn't look the same as a lot of the other, the scream queen final girls or whatever. I mean, the, the only thing I would put her on par with is maybe the uh, your final girls from like the Friday the 13th films, maybe um, a little yeah. bit. But, uh, you know, you're right. Her look is uh, she's very much a, a natural beauty. I think she's gorgeous, but she's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's a natural beauty. And she just kind of she she and really embodies that girl next door vibe that every horror movie tries to capture. Um, so I think she she holds herself well in that regard. However, I, you know, as much as this is Jill Sholin month and we are spotlighting uh, popcorn, I will have to say that even though she is our, our, our lead character in this film, I do kind of feel that she doesn't have a whole lot to do. And I mean, mm-hmm. she, she, I guess she has more to do than the other characters, of course, because she is our lead, but I don't feel like there's a whole lot of meat to the bones of her story. And that's not, that's not a negative, you know, because mm-hmm. again, the, the movie does move along at a, at a, at a good brisk pace. Um, and I feel like every character kind of has, you know, a good amount of screen time. I just feel like maybe there wasn't a lot, a lot for her to do. And again, it's not her fault. I feel like maybe that's just my falls more on just the writing end. Yeah, I think, well, and you know, we'll we'll kind of get into some of the details in our next section when we talk about the actual production of this movie. But mm-hmm. I think some of the the lacking of depth in her character or lacking of things for her to do has a lot to do with how this movie was made and okay. some of the some of the drama that happened behind the scenes. I think maybe that influenced it quite a bit. Like, so I'm excited. Long story short, this was a mess. Long story short, this was a mess fraught with with drama and almost running out of money like three times. They almost thought they were going to have to like just cancel the whole thing. Wow. So um, definitely was a bit of a mess. So I think that's why. And th- there's another kind of key to that, that that I'll get into later. But, uh, you know, I think as a as a, as a premise it's a really cool premise for a character i like that she's having these visions that they don't ever really like fully explain which i think right. is cool they kind of leave a, a little a, an extra kind of supernatural edge to it um but i really think tom villard steals the show for me as toby really 
I thought he was, I just think he's so good and so fun. I don't know. And I, you know, and again, I, I have a little bit more context. I just appreciate him as a person a little bit more after watching this making of documentary on, on the Blu-ray from Synapse Films. See, it's, it's funny. Cause uh, again, you're, you're, you're shedding light on all kinds of new stuff that I don't know about because you get to watch a very fucking nice 4k scan, high depth <laughs> Blu-ray with making ofs while I'm sitting in my man cave, watching a worn out VHS tape. Uh, but you know, I, I'm going to be on the opposite end of the fence with you on, on this one, which, you know, it's going to tend to happen on these shows. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his character. I, knowing now, you know, you, you saying that this was a, this was a mess and, and stuff behind the scenes, which, you know, something I, I wasn't aware of makes more sense now because of things that happen in the movie that, there's certain there's certain little plots that kind of tend to go nowhere. Um, it's not a detriment, but just yeah, just little things that just kind of make you head scratch. But anyway, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting off topic here. But one of the things I wrote down in my notes, uh, which going with Tom Villard as as his as his character, um, I, I wrote down over the top, not necessarily bad, but. Reminds me of Jim Carrey. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's what I, that's what I really liked. So I will say that he doesn't really shine as a character until spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's revealed that he is actually the killer and he's got this crazy like burn scars all over his face and like little like sutures in his skin. I don't even know. And I think once he like fully embodies, cause he seems like he's such a nice friendly kind of character the whole movie kind of fades Mm. into the background i kind of forgot about him honestly and then they revealed he's the killer and i'm like whoa and his whole personality of course completely changes and he's just so uh theatrical and over over the top like you said that that's absolutely correct um but i think this setting really lends itself to that kind of um like being melodramatic and whatnot he very much reminds me of jim carrey as the riddler and batman forever Um, and you know, let let me let me let me backpedal a little bit. I don't want you or anyone to think that I don't like him. I I do. Right. Again, again, I love this movie. I just felt that, and again, I don't think it's necessarily his fault. With you, like like I said, with you saying that this was a mess, it makes things make more sense to me now. It just like you said, like I just felt like there wasn't enough character development there, because like you said, yeah. You don't you don't want the fucking Scooby Doo red herring shit to happen in every movie, but like you said, he, he's just kind of this dude who just kind of blends into the background, and then poof, he's he's our villain, and it's uh, he, he zero to sixty. And yeah, there's not a lot of uh, lead up to it or like hints right. that that's what you get going it's, on. It's not, it's not bad. It's just it's a little bit jarring in in, in a way, but I do think uh he's a great movie villain don't get me wrong i really do yeah uh, do like i like his look a lot too yeah oh he looks great yeah i i think i think what we'll find is we're digging into this a bit more that 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 even though 
like we've said multiple times, we both really like this movie. It's clear that there was a lot of potential here that just wasn't tapped into for whatever, for various production reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe if this had had a bigger budget and less issues during production, it could have been even better. And maybe, maybe it would be like a huge hit that people still talk about to this day. You just never know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's valid to say, like I, I, like I said, Toby as a character isn't interesting really until he's revealed to be the killer. I don't even really remember everything that he does before that. So uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about, uh, about Tom Billard here in just a moment. Cause again, you've, you've done research. I have not. Um, so there, there is not many people in this movie that I don't know their history. However, he is one that I, all I know about him is, uh, he did a lot of TV roles, and uh, he's no longer with us. He passed away uh, some time ago. But before before we kind of get into his backstory, and you know we've already uh, spoiler, you know that he he ends up being the our villain, our killer of the movie. Isn't it weird? And again, you saying with production problems and stuff that this movie kind of starts off as feeling almost like a night uh, Nightmare on Elm Street clone. And then it starts like yeah. it starts tiptoeing around that and then becomes something else entirely because, you know, we've got Maggie, Maggie, who is Jill Schoen's character, having nightmares and visions of the, this creepy motherfucker. And then you realize once the, once these guys are opening up this theater and getting things ready for the film festival there's a creepy dude following them. So you're not sure what's going on, why she's having these dreams. But then I kind of feel like that all falls to the wayside. And now Toby's this killer who's got a completely kind of a different motive. And we never really touch upon why she was having nightmares and visions of this guy. It, and again, I'm not ripping this movie because I love this movie. It's just things that I noticed this this go around, like how things were established, but then never fully fleshed out. One of those things that just really cracked me up was the fact that Maggie, Jill Sholin's character, when she's talking to, I believe it was uh, the her love interest played by uh, Derek Riddle, she gives like this like five minute long exposition of of this guy that she's having nightmares about. And then 20 minutes later, we find out that that's not who she's, that's not who the killer is. And when we find out who the killer actually <laughs> is, then the killer gives like another 10 minute long exposition explanation of why he's doing what he does. And I'm like, we just killed 20 minutes of this fucking movie with exposition and half of it. <laughs> didn't make sense and wasn't even needed. So it's, it's weird. And like I said, it, it, a lot of stuff was introduced and not fleshed out, but you saying with production problems makes me understand that now it, it, it makes it, it sounds kind of like, and I'm going to get like really nerdy and, and heady with, with some of my favorite movie stuff when I start spitting things. So forgive me, Katie, you might not know <laughs> some of the shit that I'm mentioning here, but it, it almost reminds me a little bit of, and I don't know, I don't know the stuff that happened behind the scenes. You haven't told me yet, but just from what I'm gathering, it almost comes off as one of my other favorite films, which is a movie called Spookies, which was a movie that was originally filmed by one group 
and it was called, I believe, Tortured Souls. And then that movie was completely taken over by another group and they added more scenes to it that didn't go with what was already shot. And it was retitled Spookies. And then you got this this movie that is technically two movies in one. But they tried to pass it off as a coherent story. Am I somewhat on the on the right track here? Um, no. So I, to be honest, I don't, I don't know a lot about like how, like if they had to do like sudden rewrites in the middle of the night or anything like that. It, it it's more just like there were some, cha- there were some mix ups with uh the 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 cast and crew a little bit. Let's just say they just they changed things around gotcha. when they were already like several weeks into production, and it kind of threw everything yeah, off for a while. That, that, that's why it made you know that's why I kind of use spookies as as you know my reference point just because yeah. you know like I said with with certain plots brought up in popcorn and then kind of dropped it just kind of felt that way that maybe it was meant yeah. to be one thing and then turned into something completely different yeah I you know I will say I Again, I I love this movie, but if hey, I could hey. have my if I could have my perfect way and just trying to think critically about it, it is a little I was a little disappointed that that they set up this like kind of supernatural, fantastical, almost like you said Nightmare on Elm Street-esque uh story. Like I'm thinking, "Oh, it's the spirit of this of this guy this mm-hmm. who made these films and killed his family and burned down the theater." So, it's the spirit of him back for revenge and and they almost had this great connection by saying actually that's maggie's real father and that's what happened and but then they they kind of like yeah that is true but they kind of just like let it go and don't explore it anymore and then toby is just like some kid that was in the theater that 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 just got burnt up in the fire. And so now he's got a grudge against film students. Now I don't really understand like the, the connection of, of him. I don't know who he's getting revenge on. <laughs> right. He, he, well, he's, he's mad at Maggie and well, fuck it folks. We're going full spoilers. Uh, he's mad at, yeah. he's mad at Maggie because uh, she was there and her, right. and her, was it her, her mom or her aunt? I her couldn't aunt. remember her, her, her yeah. Was her, the one. Dee Wallace is her aunt. Okay, so yeah, uh, which was weird because they at first act like it was her mom, and then act like it was her aunt, and then whatever. But um, yeah, so she I guess killed her, Maggie's dad and set fire to the place, which caused Toby's mom to get killed, and he escaped badly mutilated. So now he's getting revenge on. Maggie and her aunt. <laughs> See the the bear the basic synopsis of this plot makes sense, and then yeah. it's pretty uncomplicated until you start getting into the nitty gritty, and then it suddenly is a little bit more complicated. <laughs> so it's funny because again, uh, I've watched this movie several times, and those things have never really bothered me until until I watched it today before we record it. Because we're doing a podcast and talking about it in depth. And yes. then I'm just like, shit. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> There's some things that are a little muddy, but it's okay. And again, it is. It's okay. I, it's just us, you know, diving in a little bit further into the into the movie. But it, 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 I keep saying this. It's not a detriment. This movie's fucking awesome. 
it's uh, so much fun. Yeah, it's so awesome still. Um, it just is a little quirky. <laughs> yeah. So now let's jump back because uh, I said I was going to ask you a little bit more about Tom Villard. Um, you know, a little backstory maybe about, about him. You seem like you, maybe you knew a little bit about him. So I don't actually know a whole lot about his career as far as like his past. Like, I mean, I've got his IMDb up and it's kind of like you said, he mainly just did a bunch of uh, a bunch of TV. Mm -hmm. But the thing to know about him is that he did pass away in 1994 um, due to complications from AIDS. And he was one of the first actors to to one be openly gay and say yes i am a gay man and then two to be open about him having aids um he like did this whole thing where he came on entertainment tonight and was like hello this is me this is a reality this is a literal like pandemic that is affecting my community please somebody do something about it um and you know by all accounts he was a very kind and and gentle and like loving human um everybody that worked on that movie had nothing but glowing incredible things to say about him he was in the middle of battling aids while he was filming this so he would have to sit with all that shit on his face for hours and hours and hours at a time while the you know the dp was setting up every perfect shot perfectly which we'll talk about more later too and and he had to keep it a secret because to say that you were an actor with AIDS at the time meant that you weren't going to work again. Nobody right. was going to hire you. So he he told Mark uh, Harrier in, in confidence, you know, hey, I think you should know just because of the, what we're doing that I have AIDS, but please don't tell anyone. And so he had to like keep his secret for him um, until he kind of came out and told everybody. So I, you know, wow. I, that I think it's a shame because he's just, he was such a great actor. He's so good in this role, even if, the role wasn't given quite enough meat (laughs) um but you know he did he he took what you know he took on these challenges with production and then still came out with this pretty impressive fun performance as a as a horror movie villain so i i'm hoping i'm hoping that over time you know i've been seeing some some rumblings on twitter um about this movie lately and so i'm hoping that it's it's starting to now have its its renaissance its time where it finally solidifies itself in in horror history and people can respect his performance yeah absolutely uh rest in peace tom villard uh like you know again over the top but for god's sakes there's no way you can take your eyes off of him uh, it's a shame that absolutely could, yeah it's a shame we couldn't have you know got more performances like that um yeah so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move along to to somebody else in the cast that I whenever I have a chance to talk about this person I fucking go balls deep because <laughs> I fucking love this person so much and I've been blessed to spend some time with this person in real life. So let's talk about D Wallace. I D Wallace. So, you know, this is funny because we, we're bringing up again, how popcorn is not a movie that you hear a lot of horror fans talk about. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do a hot take. I don't know if it's, it's technically a hot take for everybody, but I feel like it is. Jamie Lee Curtis was recently given like the prestige of like greatest scream queen of all time or, or some shit like that. I forget what the actual mm-hmm. thing was that she just received. 
I love Jamie Lee Curtis. You know that. My friends know that. Everybody knows I love Jamie Lee Curtis. Unhealthy amount so. But <laughs> I think Dee Wallace is the greatest scream queen. Because, Ooh. oh yeah, I know, hot, uh, yeah, hot, hot take coming in. Um, D. Wallace has wore her badge with fucking pride and honor her entire fucking career. Yes, and f- people people tend to forget that Jamie Lee Curtis, after you know, when, once trading places hit, and she showed off her tatas. And started getting big better things. That's all she wrote, baby. And she was off that horror movie train, fucking breakneck speed. And yep. she kind of treated horror almost as like a, a dirty word, and and one way or another. And you know, because her career did kind of her career took off, and she did big and bigger and better things. But now that she's gotten older, the roles have kind of slowed down she embraced horror again and now she's back in the horror spotlight with uh, the new mm-hmm. revamping of the Halloween series and everything and everybody was just like oh oh Jamie's back well let me tell you what folks D Wallace fucking came through the doors and she has stayed there and she has wore that badge with fucking honor and she is fucking amazing and everything she's in i could sit here and and just fucking list Every horror movie she's been in, but that would be here all night. But, you know, it's funny. She was in The Howling, and we just got done talking about some of the Howling series. Critters. Of course, uh, you know, E.T. is not a horror movie, but she's a mom from E.T. But she's done so much in the horror movie world, and she still does. She is still yeah. rocking and Isn't rolling. she in Cujo? Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yes, yeah, she's in Cujo. Yeah, mom in Cujo. Um, and like like I said, oh my God. she is still, still rocking in the mouth. She's uh, done a lot of work with Rob Zombie. Um, you know, she was in mm-hmm. the, the Halloween remake. She was in Lords of Salem. Uh, she's just, and she does like, you know, a lot of the lower budget stuff nowadays. She not only is a she's fan, a fucking legend, though. She, she like her legend. IMDb, you, you, ha- you got to scroll for like a solid, like, tw- like 10 to 20 seconds to get to the bottom of her IMDb because she <laughs> has done so much shit. Like, she is yeah. working constantly. And I feel like, I, I really like her in this movie. Well, I like her in everything I've seen her in, but I really like her in this movie. I wish she'd been um, utilized a little bit more. I yeah, think I right her down. scene in the theater where she thinks she's going to confront, what's his name? Landon Toby. something. The, the, or, uh, well, the, she's confronting Toby, but she thinks she's confronting this guy that she thought she killed uh, 15 years ago. Shit, I can't think of the name. It was uh I'll tell you, it's like Landon something. It's, it's uh, uh you're, you're close. Um I'm so close. Wow, hold on, we can cut this out. Lanyard Gates. Lanyard. It's lanyard, lanyard Gates. That's right. Uh, when, when, she, when she when I first heard I'm like like a lanyard that you fucking wear around your neck? Yeah, what a name. Um, But, you know, there's that great scene where she goes and confronts him at the theater at night with the gun and the lighting is just so good. And she's so she's just so good. Like, I don't know. The camera just loves her. Like, she just is perfectly at home on on screen. And she's a fucking legend. So, look, I uh, I've got my notes. D. Wallace. Underutilized. 
So you're one of I like she needed way more screen time. However, I want to I want to bring this up because uh you know you know how the kids nowadays say uh things hit different. Yeah. Okay, so I've grown up watching D Wallace, okay? I I've 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 probably, you know, I'm not going to count like a lot of the newer stuff she's cuz she's in a lot of stuff uh more recent, but I've seen everything that she's done from the 70s on up until like mid 2000s, okay? There's probably not a horror mm-hmm. movie that I've not seen her of hers and things hit different now because when i was when i was a kid she was she was the mom she was the horror mom or the monster mom she was always like she was always like you know just the the cute lovable mom and and those types of movies sometimes she'd be like a a semi-badass but she was always like that motherly figure of course Mm -hmm. now i'm 37 years old and things hit different because I was watching popcorn today, and I was like, "God damn, D. Wallace, honey, you right? That's a hot mom. mom. My God, she's, and, a, she's she's such a babe. Yes, and it's funny because uh, it's completely different that she's got like this short, super short brown hair when we you know, usually know her for her, you know, her blonde hair and everything. But she's got like this super short, yeah. kind of high and tight uh, haircut with the brown. But she's like coming in." looking strong like Rambo and like some shit up. And uh yes. I was like, I have I have never thought that I the D Wallace would hit me that way. But my God, then I started, <laughs> think, then I started thinking back of other movies. I was like, shit, I've gotten older and my taste has changed. D Wallace is a fucking MILF. <laughs> she's so her character itself is is so badass too, which is why it's a shame she's not in it more because she, you know she is she's introduced as kind of being this mom figure, which in a lot of movies, the mom kind of just kind of fades in the background as the right. plot progresses. And as the main characters kind of come into their own, but she, she's so, she's just such a badass. She's like, Oh yeah. Like I killed this guy who was trying to kill my niece and, and I took her and I raised her as my own. And Oh, I heard he's back. Better get my gun and go take it to this theater in the middle of the night to confront him. Like right. that's insane. <laughs> And I love how it's almost like a, a bait and switch. It's like they they knew uh, that there was going to be audience members that knew that she was the, always the mom in these types of movies. So they cast her in that role for you to be like, oh, it's D. Wallace playing the mom again. And then next thing you know, she's fucking loading rounds in the fucking revolver and going to the fucking theater. And it's like, fuck, yeah, here we go. Yeah. It's like she had no fear. Like that that's what I really liked about that character. And that's kind of what I liked about Maggie too cuz you can you can see that 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 character that Suzanne D Wallace's character definitely raised Maggie cuz you know obviously Maggie is the appropriate amount of being afraid right. but she's not like hysterical like she keeps her wits about her. She's very she tries to like she's trying to like outsmart Toby and all this stuff and so um I, I, it's very cool to see some like badass ladies leading this movie for sure. Absolutely. And like I said, I've got, I've got my notes, um, you know, uh, a couple of people were underutilized and then I put character development, um, in all capital letters because what we do get with, with Suzanne and Maggie's characters is so good. There just needed to be more of it. This movie usually nine times out of 10, when we talk about movies, um, we, you know, it always comes up with, with people, you know, that movie, that movie could have, that could have, you know, been 15, 20 minutes shorter. This movie, I think would have benefited from being maybe 20 minutes longer. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have hated it. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I like Jill Schoen's character not only because, you know, she's got a really good vulnerability to her. She's pretty. She's a great final girl. There's just, you know, I just wish she had more. Again, Dee Wallace, fucking sexy, ready to kick ass. Just wish she needed, you know, she just needed just a little bit more. All these characters need a little bit more. Um, so let's, we, you know, we've got, we've got those guys out. We've got our villain out of the way. We've got our two leading ladies out of the way. Let's move along to, uh, to, uh, Derek Rydell, who, uh, was basically Maggie's love interest for the movie. What did you think about him? Um, I, he, he's pretty funny. I mean, he, all these characters are pretty entertaining to watch and they all had really great chemistry with each other because like in real life, they all got along pretty well. Um, so I think that definitely benefited the movie. I think as a character, I mean, he didn't, he doesn't stick in my memory too much as a character for me. It's not like he really like stood out much. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I kind of like that there's no like, there's no like a like romance or like actual love interest. It's kind of like he's trying to date Maggie and she's too busy working on a script to like, give time to him which i think is badass like that's so cool <laughs> and then he's just such an idiot like he's just bringing that other girl to the theater like the theater to the film festival that the girl that he's been trying to get with is producing and then he just flubs it up so bad but i don't know <laughs> I, don't know. I, I feel like it's maybe a little bit of real life uh real life tactics into that into that part yeah because... that's fair <laughs> I feel like everybody. I mean, he point, does save the day. Yeah, he does. I feel like everybody at some point has been uh, trying to hit on a, you know, Mac on a significant, you know, other or you know, another person, and uh, maybe they're not they're not receiving it in return, so they grab another piece of arm candy to try to entice a little bit of uh, jealousy, and you know, yeah, I, I gotta say, I didn't really hate that because it felt genuinely real like something oh, yeah yeah so the yeah. only thing i do wish and again this is going to be a broken record moment of this episode is uh, underutilized not that he was because i feel like he actually had a lot to do i just felt that his character development was kind of piss poor because we're supposed to be really yeah. super invested into him saving the day and and saving maggie and taking on toby and shit and he's going through all these different like shenanigans, you know, with with getting locked out of the theater and running around the theater, getting chased by unseen Doberman, all this kind of shit, all these like little little zany antics that you know that's trying to build him up as the hero, and it just kind of falls flat for me. Um, I even though he's he's supposed to be uh, our our I guess for lack of a better term hero, I guess he's the only one that yeah. that I technically you know I, I don't hate him. I just think I he's my least favorite of our ensemble cast. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's not, you know, and I, the actor did, a, I think he did a really good job. He's a good actor. Um, And like you said, I, the character itself isn't bad. It just felt like 
they didn't really do enough to establish him as a main character and not just a side character, you know? Right. Like, I feel like when when all of a sudden he saves the day at the end, it feels almost a little, like, almost shoehorned in. Like, I think it would have been cooler yeah. if Maggie had followed in uh, D. Wallace's badass footsteps and and just been the one to to really defeat toby um and it's not you know i not that i have a problem with you know somebody other than the final girl being the one to get the the killing blow i just think this in this particular case it wasn't quite as interesting as maybe it could have been i'll absolutely agree with that i really feel that it should have been a uh a team effort between d wallace and joel shelwin's characters have taken uh I keep wanting to say taking Eric down. And the reason I keep wanting to say Eric and not Toby is because uh, Derek Riddle was in, um, because he was in uh, Phantom of the Mall, which was you know called Eric's Revenge. And there's a lot of parallels and similarities between those two movies. Uh, but anyway, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like D. Wallace and Jill Sholin should have definitely taken Toby out. There was, you know, they had the backstory. They had the history. D. Wallace was the badass. And... I think it would have been a better swan song. So I I had one character. I more wanted to talk about the actor himself and, and not just the character, but it's the character of Leon uh, played by Elliot Hurst. And Elliot Hurst and his family are basically the reason this whole movie happened. Oh. Um, if you if you'll notice, you know, if you're watching it, you'll see that last name Hurts pop up a lot Hurst excuse me Hurst pop up a lot in the credits and it's because he was from what I can only assume is a pretty wealthy family and he had an interest in acting and in film and his parents had were very supportive of this and they had a lot of various business ventures and they you know they'd produce Broadway plays and other things like that they were super into the arts so they just decided uh well fuck it, I guess we'll produce a movie and we'll put our kid in it. Nice. Uh, so yeah, so his, so his mom is the executive producer and uh, some other people in his family were producers and like worked on it and stuff. So I just think that's kind of a cool fact that, and he's not even the main character, which I think is extra cool. Like I feel like a lot of people who, especially, you know, you know, with nepotism, it's like you, you put your kid in your movie, they're going to be the main character. But I think right. it's kind of cool that he's just kind of a side character and he just gets to be kind of like one of the com comic reliefs. And he has a great death scene also. Yeah, I really actually like his character. Um, I, di I didn't know jack shit about him. I've, I'd never seen him in anything else. So I had nothing else to go off of. But yeah, I, I generally like his character. He's got a lot of great moments. So it might have been, you know, that he did he wasn't the lead, but he got some of the best moments. He gets some funny he's, yeah. He's, yeah, it's a lot of great parts. Um I, I can't remember the exact line, but uh when he's dressed up in and you know, because everybody's just you know, so people listening understand what the hell we're talking about. Um, all of our main characters dress up in costumes when we're when they're putting on this film festival. Um, but his character, when he's dressed up in his uh, white straight jacket with the white hair, he does something about like looking like a fucking snow cone. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I died laughing at that line. And uh, the the I'm, you know I don't want to spoil every fucking thing, but uh, the the bathroom scene I thought was fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's a really fun scene. Um, I just like I think having the 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 like the mechanic of. Of, of a killer that can assume the face of anybody is mm -hmm. really interesting. 
And it is. And so, I, can't, I can't wait till we talk about the effects because of how they handled that also was really well done. But yeah. Oh, cool. I'm excited to hear more about that. They didn't get too into that part uh, in the documentary. So other than just it was it was a lot of a lot of prosthetics and it took a long time to, to put on and all that. Cool. Um, what's uh, some of the more minor characters? Um, so what do you think of uh, Malcolm Denar's character of Bud, uh, the the wheelchair ridden character? Yeah, he is. He's he's a lot of fun. He's definitely was a really funny character. He felt like a real person to me. He felt like somebody that I would meet in class, maybe at college and that I would get along with. Um, and I really liked that. I think he got one of my favorite death scenes in this movie, though. I feel like it was it was way more, it almost felt almost like saw in a way, like the way he was like tied to that chair. And it was like, it, when this light goes off, then it'll be this, then this, and then you'll get electrocuted. And he's just got to sit there. And I, I really felt like I was rooting for him. Like I really, even though I knew deep down, I was like, this is definitely his death scene and he's definitely going to die. I was really rooting for him and hoping that he would, you know, be able to reach the cord in time to unplug it before it electrocutes him. So you know, I think that's just a testament to a good character. He just seemed real enough and sympathetic enough that I didn't, I didn't want him to die, even though I kind of knew he was fated to die. Right. So I too liked his character. And, um, you know, whenever you put a person in a wheelchair in a horror movie, you kind of automatically get sympathy points, except for Franklin and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Fuck that. But, um, but no this character of bud uh absolutely i I really really liked him he's lovable but i i also have to tip my hat to the actor uh again malcolm uh, i believe it's pronounced denaire i'm sorry if i'm butchering that Mm -hmm. um because he goes from one horror movie where i absolutely fucking hate him and and cheer for his goddamn death to a movie like this where just like oh you know i hate that he eh, i hate that he died but uh yeah he he was the fucking asshole one of the asshole of buddy rupperton's gang and christine and oh my uh, i'm just now seeing that on imdb and i did yeah. no idea and it's funny when i remember when i first uh first watched uh popcorn i recognized him right off the bat and I immediately had that feeling of, oh, that motherfucker. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, this fucking. Yeah, I, I already hated him because even though it was never specifically said in the movie which one of Buddy Rupperton's gang shit on the dashboard of Christine, but you know it was him. It was him. It was him. It was him. But um, yeah. But no, you know, I, I like him <laughs> in this movie, and uh, again, you know, good actor. I I, I dig it. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Um, Again, I feel like one of the reasons why I agree with you that this movie should have been about 20 or 30 minutes longer is that I feel like we could have gotten a little bit more time, not only with our main cast, but with all of these side characters, because they all had such great... They all had such great chemistry together, and they all really got along in real life, and so you really see that on the screen. But I feel like... So I feel like they're were could have been way more scenes to just yeah. give us a little bit more character development and made us care about them a little bit more. 
because not- once once he once he dies it's kind of like everybody else i don't know you just kind of stop caring about everybody at, at one point and and i really wanted to feel like i was like rooting for everybody it's which is rare for a horror movie because usually you know your your ensemble cast is they're they're fodder they're they're just lined up at the slaughterhouse ready to get butchered by your your movie villain and we don't really give a shit and it's rare for a movie to make you kind of feel different you 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 root for these people mm-hmm. and you genuinely like i mean i genuinely liked everybody in this movie the only the only person that fell flat for me um Again, Derek Riddle's character, like you know, I liked him enough. I just didn't think he was worthy of, of the yeah. kill. You know, I liked him enough, but the only character that you know fell flat was uh, was the blonde chick. Uh, the only thing, like every time I see her on screen, all I can think of is uh, a League of Their Own because she was one of the on the baseball team because <laughs> of her costume. No, no, she was actually in a League of Their Own. Oh, really? I, I yeah. actually didn't, wait. Are you talking about Kel- Kelly Joe Minter? Uh, no. No, the oh no, the other blonde, the blonde the other chick. blonde girl, and not the nurse, but the other blonde, the one that uh, right. gets, I think she's like the first kill, maybe or second kill. Yeah, because oh right, because she puts on she puts on the black wig yeah, like, very yeah. early on in the movie, so I forget that she's she's actually blonde. Yeah, um, yeah, that that character I also I would have liked to have seen more of because they try to say I I can't remember exactly. Um, I watched this like two or three days ago. I can't remember exactly where in the movie they say it, but they mentioned something about her. You know, maybe they actually mentioned it in the in the behind the scenes documentary. I don't remember. They they mentioned something about her character being like kind of like the bimbo of the group, well, but like I didn't professor. really get that. What? Oh right, she's right, fucking with the, with professor. the professor. That's right. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. never mind that track. So I was about to say, why did they introduce that? Um, yeah. So I mean, that'd be the that's like the only thing. And and to me, it's it's kind of she's kind of one of the only characters that feels like a very classic slasher character in the sense that she's absolutely she's being naughty she's breaking the rules a little bit so she's got to die and in this case it's not you know it's not just premarital sex it's premarital sex with your professor who's much older than you which is kind of creepy yeah it's funny um because like i said she's the only one that falls platform because she's just it's like she's there she looks good uh we find out that she's fucking the professor she dies like that's literally beat yeah. for beat what happens to her there's nothing really fun but i do want to talk about uh a film school professor uh which is played by tony roberts who um yes uh who of course is from uh two great well i shouldn't say two great one great movie and one movie that other people will know of <laughs> he was in uh of course <laughs> with with pacino which is a fucking fantastic film and he was also in one of my favorite amityville movies uh, Amityville 3D. Uh, but of course, like, Tony Roberts has also got a fucking resume, uh, uh, fucking five miles long. Dude's been in a lot of stuff. I, 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 He's one of those actors that he's just got that face where he just looks like your friend's dad. And, uh, you yeah. know, he's just, he, that's just kind of mannerisms too. And uh, it's always good to see him in a movie. And I really, he, again, he didn't really have a whole hell of a lot to do in this movie. But he was definitely a welcomed addition, for sure. But yeah, you know, Tony Roberts, love seeing him in the movie. Um, I also want to point out two fucking great cameos um, in this movie. Um, 
One of them, of course, is the late, great Ray Walston, who many of you might know as Mr. Hand from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, Pappy Popeye from the Popeye movie, and, of course, my favorite Martian. Uh, he kind of, you know, he's in the movie for, like, all of, like, fucking five minutes. Uh, but it's, you know, talk about somebody that's always great to see <laughs> in a movie. He pops up as this guy, uh, like, I forget what they call him, like, Professor M or or Captain M or, or some shit like that. But he's, like, this guy who, who owns, like, a movie memorabilia prop store and he uh he's oh, yeah. that guy's great yeah he, he's the guy that uh, uh supplies you know these these film students with all their props and decorations to decorate this movie theater for their uh horror film festival but yeah it was great seeing him and then the other uh weird cameo which i you know i never noticed until today when i was when i was watching it again um i do want to talk about more of this in depth a little bit you know later but of course uh the film festival that these that these guys are putting on uh, consists of three movies that they that they show at the theater, and they're you know basically movies within a movie. These are not real life movies; these are movies that were shot specifically for this film. But let me tell you what: these three movies look fucking fantastic, and I would watch them any day of the week. Uh, we've got well, oh yeah, it was a uh, mosquito, uh, the electrified man, and uh, the stench. I think is what it was. So yeah, so the second movie, The Electrified Man, um, which is basically a riff on The Indestructible Man starring Lon Chaney Jr. about an inmate uh, at a prison who sent the electric chair and survives and he's can electrocute people and shit. Almost like uh, Ernest Goes to Jail in a way. Anyway, um, that, that, uh, that character that's in that movie within the movie, Electrified Man, is none other than Crispin Glover's father. Whoa! And cool! And they look fucking identical because Oh my god, now that you say it, it's yeah, so obvious. Yes. Because it's funny because when you know, when I watched those movies before, you think of Crispin Glover no older than maybe like the Willard movie. But now I watch it, I know what Crispin Glover looks like now. Uh, you know, yeah. some twenty years maybe after Willard. So he's got more age on him. So now when I see like his dad, which would be around the age that he, that Crispin is now, it's like, holy shit, that looks just like Crispin Glover. That's amazing. Yeah. When I was watching it, I was like, I look like Crispin Glover. Is that his dad? So then at the ending credits, (laughs) of course, it said, you know, whatever his dad's name is. I just saw Glover. I was like, ah, fuck, it's gotta be. That's so cool. I I love all those those movies within the movie. It really adds a nice touch to to so this good. movie as a whole. So like it's good. really charming. Um, and then let's see. There's so there's there's two other kind of side characters in this group of kids. I just wanted to point out really quick. So we've got Kelly Joe Mentor as Cheryl, and then yeah. Yvette Solar as Joni. I love Kelly Joe Mentor. Um, I she I mean. She's got a, a decent catalog of films, but she's just one of those people that I wish uh, there was more of, more more movies. Yeah, she's so fun to watch. I was hoping I she'd her. be more prominent in this movie, too, but. Yeah, because she's got a, you know, she has a decent list of, of some favorites. Uh, she was in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Um, yep. People Under the Stairs. And, of course, one of my all-time favorite movies, this is technically not a horror movie, but horror lovers love this movie, and that's uh, uh, Summer School, starring Mark Harmon. 
Oh, summer school yeah. is so fun. And of course, those horror fans love that movie because of Dave and Chainsaw, the two Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. uh, Massacre-loving uh, goofballs of the movie. But yeah, uh, Kelly Joe Mentor, definitely one of those characters that are character actors that you love to see. She always plays a, you know, a lovable part because she's, she's never the main character, but she's always the main character's best friend. And it's always kind of like that bad bitch that's got her best friend's back. So I, I love that yeah. about her. And it's funny, um, I wrote down um, Raspy. The reason I wrote down Raspy is because um, maybe people don't want to know this about me, but a, a big turn on for me is when a chick has like a kind of a raspy voice. And I yeah. love that this movie has a great voice. Yeah. And I love that this movie has two great chicks with raspy voices. Of course, Jill Sholin, who I think has like such a like sexy, like, raspy voice and then the kelly joe mentor who's got that same kind of raspiness so yeah if you can give me some some badass raspy babes in my horror movies you automatically get a <laughs> point yeah i she's she's great to listen to um and again it just kind of goes back to what i keep saying is that i just wish there was more of her i feel like there i don't even remember what the last point we see her but she kind of like fades into the background pretty like midway through the movie and then yeah. we don't really see her again as far as i know i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to refresh my memory here but i don't think we really see her again so she yeah uh, it's just another character i wish we'd seen more of she shows up, I guess. I guess you could say when needed, uh, but she doesn't. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't play a pivotal role. However, uh, it's funny because I maybe I'm wrong in this, but I feel like every horror movie that I just listed that she's in, she fucking survives. That I would need to double check that, but that may that may actually be true. Oh, um, so I, she, survived she survived this one too. I thought that. I thought that. That's what I think is kind of cool about this movie is that not every single, but like no, not everybody in this group dies. They don't like just go through one by one, killing everyone systematically. Right. So, yeah. She also, I'm looking, I'm looking her up. She also was like a clerk in Lost in the Lost Boys, working at Max's video store. Oh, okay. Uh, the the two biggest things. But if I had made this movie that I would have done differently, one of them we'll talk about a little bit later because I don't want to spoil. Um, but one of them definitely is the body count because that's just how I am. I love fucking body count. This movie, yeah. while there is some, I'm surprised at how many people make it out alive. You've got an entire theater. And I'm not talking like a, you know, like a fucking present day Cinemark or Regal theater. I'm talking about like fucking massive um, old school opera type theater that this film festival is being held at packed full of people. And if it was one of my movies, man, it'd be like a goddamn massacre where people being mowed down. Left and right. <laughs> but uh, the audience, you know, they, they all fucking survive. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, that could have been interesting if, if more, cause the audience just really doesn't know what's going on like the whole time, which I think is kind of funny. Um, I did want to just round up this talk about characters really quick with one more character in this group of kids. Um, her, the actress's name is Yvette Soler or Soler. I'm not sure how she pronounces it. She, um, she has not been in a whole lot. Like this is kind of her main her main, yeah, she, she, it's her main thing, and it was one of the first, uh, one of the first roles that she got like right out of film school. So it's a shame that she didn't work 
more. I mean, she's done some TV, but she hasn't really done much since 1995. So, I mean, I, I oh, hope, wow. and I hope that's, I hope that's a good thing. I hope that she's, you know, very happy doing whatever she's doing now. Um, but I do think she was really fun to watch in this movie and I really liked her character. I, I really liked all of her outfits. Her clothes were really like quirky and, and interesting looking and her hair was just like super cute and she was just funny. So, um, you know, again, being a broken record, just another character I wish I'd seen a little bit more of. Um, but I think that pretty much kind of rounds out our, our cast of, of characters here. Yep. And you know, again, what a great cast, honestly. Yeah, it's a great cast, um, great group of kids, which kind of leads me into I would love to talk about the production of this movie a little bit and some of the some of the shit that went down. Yeah, there was a couple more things I want to touch on, but I, I can't really wait much longer. I, I got to hear about some of these uh, production problems. Yeah. OK, so, you know, I mentioned that Elliot Hurst, who played the role of Leon, you know, his family kind of spearheaded the getting the production up in this movie. Mm-hmm. And a- apparently and, and they're really vague about it in the documentary. So unfortunately, I don't know all of the, the dirty details about everything, but basically his family, whoever was helping to produce this movie, they were talking to a businessman in Jamaica who was trying to make Jamaica a, a new filmmaking hotspot for like Americans and, and Europeans. So which he makes so somehow much pulled all. It makes so much yeah. sense now because of the. It's why yep. there's it's why there's reggae music. <laughs> yeah, this random Jamaican reggae band that just kind of just kind of pops their head in for like you know five minutes, but okay, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, so long story short, they secure the location in Jamaica and they fly everybody out. Um, What's interesting is that the role of Maggie was not always Jill Sholin. It was actually originally an actress named Amy O'Neill, who hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff, but she, you know, she's one of the kids in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, which was, which was a couple years before this came out. Um, So she'd been working a little bit and, and, you know, they don't, go into a whole lot of details about why or like what led up to this but basically they get three weeks into this production they've got amy o'neill playing maggie they've got alan ormsby who wrote the script directing and the producers and kind of a lot of the people behind the scenes they're they're looking at the dailies and they're just like this is not working this is not good. The direction is really bad. And our lead actress is just not doing it. <laughs> got the back, back to the future syndrome. Yeah. And, and a little bit of, um, a, a little bit of like some poltergeist stuff with kind of two directors trying to, <laughs> trying to do this. Um, but so, and I, and I think what it was is that from what I remember from watching this documentary, Alan Ormsby was not a director. He was a writer, Um, But he Uh really wanted to try his hand at directing. And I think he was just so laid back that he wasn't getting he wasn't getting the the performances that that they that the producers wanted to see. And he was really into he was really into the the you know the b the black and white movies that they were making like the movies within a movie that they were making and he right. was spending too much time on those but not giving enough direction <laughs> and attention to his main cast of characters wow. and and everybody was like okay you're you're we're not making these movies these are part of this whole other movie that we're making so they ended up firing him 
and uh, they also fired Amy O'Neill. Again, I don't know the exact circumstances that led up to this, but they both got fired around the same time. So they flew in Mark Harrier, Harrier, whatever. They flew him in, and then, you know, Jill Sholin has a great story. She was on set wrapping up another movie, and her agent comes and is like, hey, we have this role in a horror movie in Jamaica. Um, the only catch is you have to leave on a plane tomorrow. And it was like 4 p.m. Oh, wow. So she kind of had to just take a leap of faith and just fly into Jamaica. Um, kind of same thing with Mark Harrier. He he didn't he hadn't read the script. He didn't really know what it was about. He said he showed up on set. And they were in the middle of of doing a scene and he literally like directed Tony Roberts doing like a, a motion. He he had to direct a shot without reading the script or knowing anything that was going on. Holy and then they shit. broke for lunch and he was like, okay, now I need to go watch all the dailies so I can understand what is actually going on. So the majority of the scenes that feature Maggie had already been shot with Amy O'Neill and they didn't have time or money to go do and reshoot everything so they reshot what they could like the scene with them in the classroom and whatnot was completely redone but a lot of the scenes with maggie uh they just did inserts like they just went back and just like shot uh jill sholin like her side of the conversation so she had to act by herself a lot and she didn't get to actually like interact with a lot of these other characters on camera at the same time except for in very specific scenes so i think so I think that definitely leads into why it feels like her character doesn't really have a lot to do because she didn't get a lot to do because <laughs> she was just getting like tacked on at the end there. Um, and so a, a one really funny story about Mark Harrier uh, f- about this production. So, you know, you've got that scene th- at the beginning where they introduce all of the characters. They're in the classroom and, you know, he'd watched the dailies from when they'd shot it originally and it was really bad. And then he went and, you know, d- directed the scene again and it was still, he just wasn't getting what he needed out of these actors. And apparently he really uh, set them straight and was like, look, I know you guys think you're on a vacation in Jamaica, but there's not too many opportunities one has in life to make a movie. So we should probably focus on making this movie and making it good because this sucks right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. And so apparently that scared everybody enough to uh, to kind of whip them into shape and they were able to perform a lot better. Um, so that, you know, that's really that's really kind of the main thing I know about the production. And it really influences it really influenced my opinion of it after watching it, because all of those kind of weird, quirky things that didn't quite make sense kind of makes sense now when you consider the fact that they were completely changing their lead actress and the, their director three weeks into their shoot and yeah so i don't know right. <laughs> it, it 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 was a bit of a mess so um again you know, this is all fucking new to me and it's that's really interesting honestly um wow that's talk, talk about being yeah. fucking thrown into a storm man yeah and 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 there was this tent there was a lot of tension between mark harrier and the rest of the crew because the rest of the crew had been there the whole time and they were like, right. who is this new guy coming in? Like, he's got to prove himself. And um, I, one little funny tidbit, you know, you and I have both worked with uh, DPs, with directors of photography. Mm-hmm. We've both been on set. We kind of know 
we just know some of the stereotypes about directors of photography are true in that they take forever to set up a shot. (laughs) And this particular director of photography was Ronnie Taylor, who I found out was Dario Argento's DP on opera in 1987, which is so cool. Um, So I, so he's, he's this amazing, you know, artistic visionary cinematographer. And, you know, Mark Carrier was very much like, we're on a schedule. We're on a budget. We got to go. Just, I don't care. Just like, just, can we please shoot the scene? And and at one point, there's like this funny thing where like the guy who plays Toby, Tom, Tom Villard's in all this makeup. He's secretly Battling suffering AIDS. from AIDS and yeah. trying to keep it a secret. He's got all this shit on his face. He's been there for hours and they're sitting there and they're waiting for Ronnie Taylor and his crew to just like light this scene perfectly. And it was just like a quick little scene. Like it was like the last thing they had to do for the day. And Mark is Mark Harrier is like, come on, we got to go. Can we please just shoot it? And they have this little back and forth. And finally, Ronnie Taylor was like, well, fine, but it won't look good, <laughs> which is such a DP response. <laughs> and, you know, like we're working on enough movies and working with uh, with some DPs that I like and some that I'll never fucking work with again. I, I'm not going to say that uh, either either party is wrong, honestly. The the difference is yeah the difference is you have it's it's a very specific type of movie, and movies like popcorn. Um, it's a blessing it turned out as awesome as it did because those types of horror movies are made a dime a dozen on on purpose. They're they're you know quick low budget get them into the theater and make a quick buck and move move along. So you've you've got. You know, you probably half your crew, especially Mark Carrier, who just got fucking thrown into this mix out of nowhere, working on this on this specific type of horror movie, who's just trying to stay on schedule, get the motherfucker done, and then you know, that's that's one hundred percent right. I mean, that that's that's the headspace that he's in, and it's not a wrong headspace. But then you've got the yeah. DP, who is a, has a background in a very different specific type of of horror film like you said opera that's one of my favorite argento films and it's beautiful cinematography and you can get that type of cinematography on a movie like like say like friday 13th you don't you don't you don't get that because it's a completely different mindset and uh so you know dp he's just he's just doing what he knows and then the director's just doing what what he knows and i think that's where a lot of clashing comes on sets mm-hmm. is when the the director and the dp might have a, a general admiration for each other and the project that they're on but they're probably approaching it from two different avenues that don't necessarily work well both avenues are leading to the same goal but one route is a little bit different than the other um but i you know with with you saying that they had to fire Alan Ormsby and bring in another one, that's also probably a little telling that maybe the DP should uh, take that, you know, take that note and be like, ah, maybe we should hurry yeah. it up. But yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> it's crazy that that you that you tell you know about Alan Ormsby being fired. Uh, do you happen to know why Mark Harrier was specifically chosen by any chance? I don't know specifically why I can't quite remember. It seems that he was at the time, you know, an up and coming 
director. Let me see what well, else. Here's the reason why I asked if, if there's. A- oh, he done Porky's. Yeah, that's why. I'm, that's why I was. <laughs> he asking. done. So so look yeah. so Bob Clark, um, who's no longer with us. Bob Clark, of course, did uh, the the original uh, Black Christmas. He also did a Christmas Story, and he also did the Porky's movies. Um, yeah. Bob Clark started off in, in film with Alan Ormsby, and their first movie was uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which I believe Ormsby wrote and Bob Clark directed, and uh, Ormsby, I think, was even uh, the main guy in that movie. And I know that Ormsby wrote Porky's 2. And here's where it all gets really weird. Mark Harrier is the uh, is is well I think the character's name is Billy um is Billy yeah and and all the Porky's movies so it's like a little little niche Bob Clark crowd here you've got Alan Ormsby who works with Bob Clark on a bunch of movies Alan Ormsby who writes Porky's 2 Bob Clark who directs Porky all the Porky's movies and then you've got Mark Harrier who stars and the Porky's movies. I was just wondering if maybe since Ormsby was getting fired, he was maybe like, hey, if you're letting me go, can you at least give this guy that I know a chance? I didn't know if that was the case or yeah, not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it, I don't, I'm not sure if it was, they don't talk a whole lot about Alan, honestly. They, they try, I will say the Synapse Films documentary did a really good job at not uh, leaning into like drama and gossip. So they, they, you know, they make a point to not say, directly like he was bad at directing and that's why we fired him like they so you know they i don't have a lot of details about how his exit went exactly Mm. um i have a feeling it was just one of those it was like this director's not working we gotta we gotta fire him we needed a new director like right now who's available oh i know this guy he wants to direct let's fuck it like this i feel like at that point they were like this is doomed so we might as well just like try i guess (laughs) try anything it's it's really a shame because uh, I don't like everything that Alan Ormsby has has dished out, um, but I will I will say you know I'm I'm a fan of Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which he he wrote. Um, I'm a fan of uh, of Death Dream, which he wrote, which was also a Bob Clark film. But my favorite uh, movie that Ormsby worked on was a movie that he both wrote and directed which was uh, a movie called Deranged, which is uh, basically the real-life story of Ed Gein. And it's kind of, I think it's like the first movie to actually delve into the full Ed Gein story from beginning to end. I mean, you had your movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was inspired by Ed Gein, but Deranged was actually about Ed Gein. Even though they didn't call him Ed Gein, it was 100% about him. which, not to plug myself, not to you know give a shout out to my own fucking movies or whatever, but I just want to bring it back around to Alan Ormsby and Deranged. Um, my my very first movie, uh, Bloodbath in Creightonville, aka the Creightonville Terror, the murderous fa- the murderous hillbilly family in that movie is called the Cobb family, and I got that I actually got that name from <laughs> Deranged because the character the Ed Gein character in that movie. His name is Ezra Cobb. So I literally named one of my characters Ezra Cobb and the rest of the family the Cobb family. 
So that shows how much Amazing. I actually love the movie Deranged, which, funny enough, was written and directed by, by uh, Alan Ormsby. Huh. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad that he continued to work and clear and did things that in, have clearly inspired new filmmakers. Um, you know, it's a shame that that popcorn didn't work out for him. I, I feel like I got the sense watching this making of documentary. It felt like, I don't know, I could just feel I felt so empathetic for not only Alan, but for uh, the other actress who they replaced with Jill Sholin. I just feel like that's got to be such a such a blow. And it yeah. just just probably really sucks. Um, but, I, you know, I'm glad to see that he he kept on working and kind of grew from it. And yeah, I mean, and the movie still turned out good. So, I mean, he wrote and he still wrote it. So like this movie that he wrote is, is, you know, turned out to be pretty good. Also, I want to, I want to throw out the fact that um, I wrote down in my notes right here, a lot of love went into the fake movies. And now that you're telling me that, that he, was more focused on those instead of the actual. That would be why. <laughs> explains everything, which that that also explains why I was so enthralled with them while watching the movie because it's not that it took me out of the movie and made me think oh, I'd rather watch those movies, but they were just so well done, um, mm-hmm. especially like Mosquito. Like that was a movie that it felt just like the the nineteen fifties giant bug movies. It was so so awesome. It's so fun. Um, The only other thing that I really wanted to kind of circle back on regarding the production is I really wanted to just hit home how great I think the cinematography in this movie is. Um, Ronnie Taylor really did an amazing job. Um, Specifically, specifically the scene with Dee Wallace where she goes into the theater. That's some of the coolest lighting in this whole movie. I'm a huge lighting nerd. Um, I studied lighting, like theatrical lighting in college. And I love Dario Argento. I just love, I love when filmmakers take the time to really make their shots look interesting um, and use lighting to, to really like provoke a mood and, and an emotion. So I, and I think this movie nails it. Like it's so moody. There's so really interesting use of shadow and light um, so I, I, I just wanted to shout that out again, cause it's, it's great. It really, it's not very cool. often <laughs> that, um, you know, I, 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 of course I own just about every horror movie you can possibly think of from the seventies, eighties and nineties on VHS. And at any, at any chance I'm given, I, that's usually what I'll watch those movies on. Uh, of course I own a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays. It's not very often that I'll go out of my way to buy a blu-ray of of a movie i'm just not you know i'm i'm, I'm setting my ways i'm old school i prefer the grit <laughs> the grit and grain of of the old film look and vhs look however there is circumstances where i love blu-rays um you know we were we plugged uh, synapse films uh, you know there's other there's other companies like severin and, and companies like that um vinegar syndrome which is another one of my favorite companies that oh yeah they put out a lot of really really great blu-ray releases of uh obscure horror films and you know i buy those blu-rays one because i'm not shelling out 300 dollars for the fucking vhs and <laughs> <laughs> and two you know they, they put together a great usually it's always a great package all the way around great cover art uh the transfers are always great stuff like that 
But um, anyway, long story short, the reason I brought this up is you've kind of convinced me that uh, to pick up this Blu-ray of popcorn because, you know, you're talking about the cinematography and the lighting and stuff. And while you are 100% right, it does look amazing. You got to figure me watching it on Blu-ray would probably open my eyes even more so because of how I've always watched the movie. I've always watched it on VHS. So it's a lot of love. Well, it's love. It's, you know, muted. And a lot yeah. of the colors are drained out and stuff like that. So maybe I need to bite the bullet, get the Blu-ray for this one, and uh, bask in, in the cinematography a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah, I would say it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, and like we were saying, this was my first time watching it, but I definitely experienced a similar thing going from watching Suspiria just however I'd been watching it and then watching this 4k res- restoration it was like watching it for the first time again <laughs> so I'm like obsessed with it so I, it's definitely you know I I am I'm also very I'm nostalgic about VHS and uh, you know old school media but I think right. it's great that they're they're taking these movies that you can't really find anywhere like like popcorn was not streaming anywhere even to rent right and now I have this beautiful Blu-ray restoration of it, it forever. It, it definitely needs <laughs> it needs to be seen. It needs to be it needs to be out there. Uh, so yeah, hopefully with Snap putting out a great Blu-ray, it'll get into more hands and you know get seen yeah. a little bit more. Um, I would love to talk about the effects and makeup in this movie, unless you had any other tidbits uh, regarding the the writing or the direction of this that you wanted to to chat about uh no not really um of course you know you're bringing up the effects uh i got a good little segue that we can just you know hop on a little segue and roll right into it um uh, that little segue train that little segue <laughs> train a little little seggy uh I, <laughs> this will bleed in i just want to say that uh as much as i love the the film festival the movies within a movie that they have playing at the theater i want to say that i loved the the costume um festival you know aspect to it where everybody showed up at this festival dressed in halloween costumes and masks and it is so great and i think today when i was watching it you know i, I got that little cheesy shitting shitting grin on my face when everybody started showing up at the theater because uh it took me back because you know this is 1991 I'm like eight years old when this movie came out. And, you know, I remember, I remember Halloween in the nineties and the costumes and, and the, and the mask and how they looked. And it's, it oh, was yeah. like, it was a really cool nostalgic trip because those costumes and masks were very of, of the era and everybody's wearing it. And all I could think about was, I don't think we'll ever get those days back where, you see just mass people and Halloween costumes fucking loving it and just having a good time like they were. It was it was a really great scene. And you know, I'm also I'm also gonna lend a little bit to the it was called Dreamland Theater, correct? The theater that they were showing the festival. Yes. Uh between the theater, the atmosphere, the props and decorations, and the people in the costumes. This is not a Halloween movie, of course. This is not a movie set during Halloween. But I might be adding it, even though I've watched it, you know, it's probably like my 10th time watching it. I might pro- put it into regular rotation during the Halloween season just because it, it, it gave that feel 
of uh of old yeah. school nostalgic uh halloweenness so yeah let's yeah. let's roll that right into the makeup effects um yeah i mean i I did just want to say just kind of going off what you're saying it has such a great vibe i love that every i love that people just showed up in masks and it was like like a halloween thing that wasn't halloween and if anyone is listening that's under the age of 30 i want you to imagine that there was a time where it was perfectly legal for adults to just walk around in full-on rubber masks that covered your whole face um because i remember being being a kid being a teenager and and them announcing that you couldn't do that anymore so uh it's kind of sad uh but yeah so but as far as the the effects and the makeup i mean i have to stop i have to start with the main event here which is toby our killer his makeup it's so interesting i feel like i haven't seen a character that really looks like him before fully even though i've seen you know we have freddy krueger we have other characters uh that you know are like burn victims or have these other like facial disfigurements but something about the way they did his makeup it's like it's like on one hand on one hand it's it's realistic enough to be like really unsettling but on the other hand it almost looks like they just took like lunch meat and stretched it across (laughs) his face (laughs) But I like it. <laughs> uh, I, I would say interesting is uh, the very best way to um, to explain it. It's cool. It's a, it's a unique. I would say it's it's somewhat of a unique design. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's like a burn victim, like you said, with like this really weird like they almost look like metal sutures that's like all over the face. The it almost like it almost reminds me. A little bit, which is this movie came so much later, but it reminds me of just a hair of uh, the Toby Hooper's remake of the Toolbox Murders. Uh, uh, the character had like this weird like face that was like a face stapled onto a, his real face. A- anyway, uh, but it is, it's a unique design. And I like how you say that it's on one hand realistic, but on the other hand, it's like a little cartoony. And I like it's got like a fine line between those two but yeah I, would... I think it has to do with like i don't i mean i'm not sure if this is what they're thinking this is just what i'm thinking you know looking back on it it's almost like they wanted to make it it's upsetting but it's not so upsetting that you don't that you want to look away like he's kind of scary looking but you can't take your eyes off of him and that's also credit to just his performance in general but like i think i think if they'd made that makeup too gory and like too disfigured that he wouldn't have been as interesting to watch because people would have been like cringing every time he was on screen maybe um i do feel like they were they were trying to i don't want to say piggyback because they did technically do their own thing I feel like it maybe just rode a little bit on the Freddy Krueger coattail. Yeah, a bit. It, was, it was a little bit Krueger-esque, um, but I liked it. But I think the best thing about this character and, of course, the makeup is that, yes, he's a burn victim. But the fact that he goes full Mission Impossible by wearing other people's faces and it's not that he's and then then for people who have not seen this movie is listening it's not that he's like leatherface he's not cutting their faces off and wearing them no he's using literally movie magic where he's making molds of these people's faces and molding it to his life cast 
so he can masquerade as these people. And it, it's really cool. And like I said, it's like Mission Impossible, where, uh, you know, the, the characters dress up as somebody else yeah. to, to do their thing. Uh, but I really liked one thing about him wearing these different faces. And a lot of other movies where you see people doing that, where they're wearing somebody else's face as a disguise, blah, blah, blah. It's always 100% obvious that when, as soon as they put the face on, it's that actor, you know, playing right. that part. But I really liked how in this movie, the when it would switch over to that actual actor, that they would do like little bitty, like, like you could see little bitty seams around the edge yeah. of their face. And, and there was like a little bit of a paler makeup on their face to give them a little bit more of a pasty look. It just, 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 to, just enough for us to know that that's him wearing somebody else's face. And I, and I like that nod. I like that they, they took it an extra cause they could have fucking cheated. They could have just said, Oh, fuck it. You know, just bring in the other actor, but they, they took that extra step to make it look like it was him wearing the face. Mm -hmm. And he made a point to, at at least in the beginning, when he first starts killing people, he made a point to kind of always stay kind of not in direct light. So he wasn't, you know, so it was, it was enough to trick the, the other characters, but the audience could see from another angle, the seam on the side of his cheek and see that it was like ripping up a little bit. And you're like, Oh no, that's not him. (laughs) I really enjoyed the part where he's uh, he's mimicking uh, the professor character, where um, yeah yeah where he kisses uh, the the hot blonde from uh, League of Their Own, and I guess like his yeah. lips his lips since it's a prosthetic it sticks to her lips and when she pulls away it's all like latex and stringy and pulling Ugh. away from his face such a great shot it's and a great so gross that. but yeah it, it looks great i love that they did that um yeah i i think at that point in the movie i hadn't fully figured out that he was making like molds of their faces i, mm-hmm. I thought he was doing like a texas chainsaw cutting their face off and wearing it so that made it even more disgusting to me at first until she rips it off and it's clearly latex but when he, when right. they kiss i was like oh you're kissing his dead face yeah. lips no <laughs> i wish they maybe had again that, that's been our theme of this episode was i wish they had done a little bit more but i do wish that maybe there had been a little bit more backstory to him making the faces because he has this yeah. crazy cool setup in his lair where he's got like his vacuum, like a vacuum forming machine that's like making the the imprint and like the latex and all this, you know, kind of cool kooky shit that he's got together to make these masks. But it's never explained how, why he's learned this technique or we, we know he's a, you know, we know that he's technically a film student with the rest of them, but we never get the idea that maybe he's like an effects artist or he knows how to do this shit. So I wish they maybe had, played on that a little bit more yeah i definitely think that's the theme of this episode is just we we liked it but we'd love to have more (laughs) which is a which is a good thing if you if you love a movie enough that you just want more of it yeah that's true you got to keep them keep them one more so uh i i don't again i don't do research (laughs) maybe i should start doing that um i don't know who was (laughs) I don't know who was in charge of the effects team. 
I just the only people the only people that I know that worked on it, and again, I, I think I say this every episode so far. There's always a, a, a much bigger team, so you know I I apologize to anybody listening that that might get <laughs> mad that I don't mention somebody else, but uh, but people that I do know that worked on it, of course, one of my favorite effects artists, uh, Wayne Toth, who did who was on the team. I don't know exactly what what he was in charge of or what specific effects that he, he did on it. But he, of course, they uh, just have him credited as special effects makeup effects artist. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know exactly what it did, but of course Wayne Toth, he's he's done so fucking much. He started off as a as a K and B boy, and worked his way up to his own stuff. I mean, he's Rob Zombie's uh, go to guy. Like he has done all. Oh, cool. Of, yeah, he's done all the effects work on all of of Rob Zombie's films. Uh, he did Puppet Master Five, John Carpenter's Vampires, Spawn. So I mean, he's done a lot of you know a lot of great, great, great uh, effects movies. Um, and then there's uh, Matt Falls. He of course did uh, he did Cyborg, which was the, the Van Damme movie. He did Bram Stoker's Dracula, and he also worked on Fright Night, uh, Fright Night Part Two, which uh, goes back to Steve, oh yeah, which uh, goes back to Steve Johnson, who I've just talked about last episode, being one of my uh, all-time favorite effects artists, uh, of course. Steve Johnson was the head uh, artist on Fright Night 2, so Matt Falls worked under Steve Johnson. And then um, I find this really funny, that one of the effects artists on this movie, his name is Robert Clark, um, a.k.a. Bob Clark. And, of course, Robert Clark worked on, like, Cujo, People Under the Stairs. But at first, uh, when it said Bob Clark, because I think it says Bob Clark in the credits when the movie's going off, I was like, Bob Clark. Well, Bob Clark is the guy who fucking directed Black Christmas with with Alan Ormsby, but that yeah. can't be right. But then I realized, like, I guess it's Robert Clark who, like I said, did Cujo and uh, People Under the Stairs. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm seeing that on IMDb. It looks like he was uncredited. Really? Somehow, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to I go back and rewatch the. I don't. Yeah, because I think at the end of the movie it or, says something like uh, "special effects something Bob Clark." Oh, I know, I know what it is. It says on IMDb, it says "special makeup effects supervisor," and then it says "Rourke Productions" (parentheses uncredited). So I guess uh, okay. he was there on behalf of Rourke Productions, but they didn't credit that company. Okay, yeah, okay, so because I knew I saw his name. Um, but I just knew that when it said Bob Clark, that I was like, well, that, that, that can't be the, the writer director, Bob Clark. So I didn't yeah. have to be him. It's okay. So we've, so we've got some, we've got some big names. Yeah. Big names yeah. work on some big movies. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much as far as my knowledge goes on the effects. Um, and kudos to them. Great effects. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, between between the villain, between the stuff that's happening in real life and the, and the kind of over-the-top, purposely cheesy effects in these movies within a movie and the stuff that they built for the theater, like the big mosquito gag and all the other little props and little things that went into it, it's just so charming and so God, fun and it really... Yeah, the mosquito is so it's so cool, and like that, you know, that is ultimately Toby's undoing. Um, so I, yeah, I think definitely a great art direction in this movie from top to bottom. Oh, definitely, definitely. 
Well, uh, so that pretty much wraps up our uh, our effects. Uh, Katie, give me your your final epitaph of uh, of old popcorn here. I legitimately loved this movie. It, I, I, you know, I immediately went on Twitter and was like, "Where has this movie been my whole life?" <laughs> um, right. I, I feel like this this is a movie that I should have seen when I was like. 12 and 13 watching like Pumpkinhead and Silver Bullet and all these movies for the first time that my big brother was showing me. I, I wish that, you know, I'm going to have to ask him if he's seen this. He, he might not have even seen this movie. Uh, and it, I think it's got such a great, it's such a great mood, such a great vibe. You know, it's still, it still kind of has an eighties vibe because it's only 1991, right. but because it's 1991, we're starting to get some of that nineties feeling like, everything's a little bit shinier kind of the hairstyles and the clothes are getting to be a little bit more different a Mm -hmm. little bit removed from the 80s and i think it it the characters are all very likable they clearly all get along with each other very well they have great chemistry and while we've you know kind of broken down some of the issues with the plot and maybe how we wanted more out of it. I think overall it's a pretty nice, tight, neat little movie. Definitely a fun, it's a fun popcorn movie. Like its name, (laughs) its name is appropriate. This is definitely a movie you want to eat popcorn to. And I have a feeling that a lot of the movies that we're going to talk about are movies that you're going to want to watch with other people. Um, Because I've said this, this is now the third episode in the row in a row. This is a movie that you definitely want to watch with a group of people and just have a good time crack open a few beers or maybe some sparkling water if you don't partake and just have a, have a nice evening watching popcorn. And I, I feel like this is a, a little bit of a, a, a gateway into, into my personal um, interest because uh, we, we've known each other for a really long time now. And you've always heard me talk mm-hmm. about this horror movie, that horror movie, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this was a fun way. This is why I want, I wanted the show to be uh, the two of us. Because again, the little bit of a just a minor generational gap, but it was a way for me to be like, "Hey, check this shit out! Like, check out these movies that I love that you don't hear other fuckers talk about." And those movies are exactly what you say they are. They're the fun popcorn movies that you want to watch with a group, and I, that's what I—that's my type of movie, man. Like, I—I love—I love my serious horror. You know, I love my—I uh, love my Hereditary and my. Uh, Midsummer, yeah. and you know, I, I this is a, a, probably a conversation for our, another time, but you know, I, I fucking uh, adored the, the Suspiria remake. But I, yes, I also love my popcorn and the movie Popcorn. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I genuinely think this movie it's a goddamn travesty that people don't talk about this movie more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really bums me out that it's not. Uh, that's why I'm saying I'm hoping it's going to have a renaissance pretty soon. I think enough time has passed that it's probably time for it to be solidified as a cult classic. Um, so normally, this is the part of the episode where I ask you how this rates on the TNA meter, but there, there's no, there's not even a single one of it either in this movie, from my recollection. I've got an answer. Um... So yeah, I'll I, I've got an answer. Uh, I'm going to give it zero stars for the uh, the TNA meter. However, I did say earlier that uh, if I made this movie, there was there would be two things I would do differently. Remember, I said one I would talk about later. I did. Okay, so one I said you know 
a much higher body count. Probably every motherfucker in that theater would get would get killed. Uh, second, I would I would me myself would probably throw in a little bit of TNA. Um, it's it's a goddamn fucking shame that uh, the character of Joni, the little quirky, cute nurse, um, or she's dressed up as a nurse. It, you you just yeah. as a fan of eighties horror that's always got boobs in it. That she is that character that you are just like any minute now, any minute now, it's gonna happen, any minute now, and it never, <laughs> it never fucking happens. And that's a little bit of a letdown, yeah. it's a little bit of a letdown. However, this is, I want you to mark this on the calendar, Katie. I want you to mark this down. We're going to mark it down, we're going to save it, we're going to put it in like you know, a, a chamber so we can reflect on this years to come. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Because you'll never probably hear me say this again. I'm okay that this movie didn't have nudity. Wow. That's a first. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm usually the person that says that. Yeah. and Well, the reason I say it, and people that don't know me is, is going to listen to these shows and think I'm just some kind of fucking sleaze bucket or some shit. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but, it's yeah. so the opposite of the truth. Yeah, it is. But, you know, fuck it, whatever. Um I grew look listen folks I'm a horror fanatic I eat sleep breathe shit horror movies have my whole life and I'm sorry that I grew up during the heyday where every horror movie had at least one tit so it's ingrained in me it's 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 it's, it's fan service yeah I, I can't I can't get away from it however um there are movies that are done well enough that keep your the keep you know, to keep your attention and that are so fun that you don't need that shit because technically no movie or horror movie at all needs, needs nudity. Nudity is just there right. to either titillate, te- you know, literally titillate or, you know, just to get a rise <laughs> on people or just to get asses in seats. Um, you know, this movie, maybe they thought it was, you know, dead on arrival and it was going to flop. And which, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it. Maybe it was a huge flop. I don't know. You know, and, and of course, obviously, it flopped. People, obviously, people have forgotten all about it. But it uh, to me, it's a good enough movie. It keeps your attention. The flow is so fucking good. And it didn't it didn't need nudity. There was not a there, yeah. You know, when the movie was over, with, I was like, well, you know, that could have used a boob or, or two. But no, fine with it. Cool with it. So, it, yes, it does get zero stars on the TNA meter. Yes, it should have at least had one boob, maybe, but I'm fine that it did. All right. Well, then there you go. That's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess that's everything. Any last words on uh, our lovely movie of the evening, Popcorn? No, I think that about wraps it up for me. Well, uh, I guess that wraps it up for me. I hope you folks enjoyed our episode of Popcorn with uh, Jill Sholin Month. We'll be returning in exactly two weeks, we want to thank our sponsor, Troma. Be sure to subscribe to Troma now at watch.troma.com and get your first month for free. Troma, 46 years of disrupting media. And we want to thank everyone who listened to our show today or tonight or whatever time it is and whatever part of the world you're in. Um, I did want to say we we do have a Twitter. If you want to hang out and chat at us there, you can find us on Twitter at Video Express Pod. Uh, so we'll be, you know, we po- be posting show updates and maybe some memes and some silly stuff later down the road. So come check us out. 
Shit just got real. We've got a Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's official now. Official, official. All right. Well, guys, uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. Tuning in. Is that what the kid? the kids still say that? Is tuning in still a thing? Yeah. I mean, I think people say it and they don't know what it literally means. But sure, yeah, they tune in. What, 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 what would you replace that with? They, they, they log in. They dial log, in. I log, don't know. Uh, <laughs> fuck it. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until <laughs> next time, just remember, please be kind. Rewind. But most importantly, just be kind. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Video Express. Bye-bye.